Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag, and if you've perused over our previous podcast episodes, you'll find out one of the most popular topics has to do with building and managing a survival team to increase your odds of getting through a serious disaster or crisis. But the biggest challenge to your survival may not actually have anything to do with your gear, your skills, or how many bullets that you have buried underground. It may have more to do with something much more personal, since when it comes to survival teams, you are dealing with human beings, right? And we have a new expert in the network this week, and he unloaded a ton of great tips for you to take away on how to manage the personal dynamics of a survival team. Now, on the surface, this may not sound so sexy, but trust me, it could very well be the one skill that pulls you through in a crisis. Check this out now. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Many survivalists and preppers tend to romanticize social chaos and collapse scenarios. They think of it as an adventure in which the rule of law is suspended and the strong will survive based on their preparations and their connection to God, guts, and glory. But the reality of a survival situation, especially a long-term survival situation, is that you may find yourself living in close quarters with other people under tremendous amounts of stress. You could also be under the very real threat or suffering from scarce resources. Now, we've talked in the past about the advantages of banding together with like-minded, self-reliant individuals to form a survival group. But even with the best preparation, under the stress of day-to-day living, under these really resourceless times, it won't take much to end up with everyone at each other's throats. And when that happens, the enemy that you're fighting is no longer a disaster or some external force. It's the very people on whom you're supposed to be relying for survival. So, what do you do then? Or... What can you do to prevent a survival group meltdown from happening in the first place? Well, that's what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And our guest today is an expert on these types of survival scenarios. He's author Richard Duarte. Richard, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jeff. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I've been really looking forward to this conversation because we talk a lot about survival groups and the dynamics of survival groups, and, and it's a it's really a topic that our our listeners and our readership they 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 crave this kind of thing. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this. Now, listen, everyone, this is the first time Richard's been on our program, and he's an attorney, a writer, and preparedness consultant. He's the author of Surviving Doomsday: A Guide for Surviving an Urban Disaster and the Quick Start Guide, Surviving an Urban Disaster. He lectures and consults in the areas of urban survival planning and preparation and passionately promotes self-reliance and urban preparedness. Richard is also a contributing writer for a number of print and online publications, including SWAT Magazine and Recoil Off-Grid Magazine. To learn more about Richard and his work, make sure that you visit him over on his website at www.quickstartsurvival.com. Okay, Richard, so let's go ahead and get started with this. So, 
So let's start out with kind of the mistakes that people make. And what would you say are the maybe the, the biggest misconceptions that most people have about long-term survival in terms of their psychological readiness for, for this type of a situation? Well, Jeff, um, I think that a lot of people drastically and dramatically underestimate the risks and they overestimate their abilities. Unless somebody has prior experience with, with the harshness of a survival scenario, it comes as a huge shock when all of a sudden their normal day-to-day routine changes uh, and, and, and the change is dramatic. Um, a, a lot of people walk around in dial mode. They just don't accept facts that are right in front of them in spite of the fact that it, 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 it's there staring them in the face. But if it conflicts with their worldview, it doesn't stand a chance. So most people feel that, yeah, you know, maybe bad things happen, but they're not going to happen to me, number one. And number two, even if it does, help will be along. Uh, it always it always happens that way. Um, so when a day turns into two days and three days and maybe a week, and then all of a sudden they realize, wow, um, I don't have food, I don't have water, um, utilities may be off, there's all kinds of nonsense going on all over the place with people fighting over the last gallon of water over at the supermarket, and I don't have any, any resources to speak of uh, to, to ride this problem out. Um, at that point, you know, it, it, it kind of hits them in the face and they realize I should have done something, but at that point it's too late. So typically what we see the most is that folks just put it off. I mean, we see it here every year with hurricane season. Uh, all that has to happen is that there's a tropical depression somewhere out in the middle of the Atlantic. It's not even threatening the coastline yet, and people go nuts. I mean, just absolutely nuts. You see it in the parking lots. You see it in the stores, the big big box retailers, and they're literally killing each other just so that they could buy some last-minute supplies. And, all, and, you know, and the sad part is that all that could be so easily avoided. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why we do what we, we're supposed to do. But even, like you even point out, like even with the best resources, and a lot of people become very like gear-focused, right? Like I've got my bug-out bag, I've got all this stuff, and so they think they get this false sense of security that they're prepared. But, but again, it's like unless you've been in that situation, you really don't really know what to expect. Now, you can try and prepare for it as much as possible, but but you you brought up a few things, but let me ask you about that. So what are the biggest ways that daily life in a long term survival scenario becomes more difficult and and like how do we how do we cope with these challenges? We're not talking about like two days or three days, but like a, a long term thing that's really going to affect basically change life as we know it overnight. Like what are some of the things that people have gotten very used to that that it's gonna look very different during a long term survival scenario? I think the moment you start talking about uh, a total absence of utilities and public services, and I'm talking about electric water, garbage pickup, that kind of thing, um, the landscape just changes dramatically. It's the world. And I'm down here in South Florida. Um, We rely extensively on air conditioning and hurricane season is, for example, between June and November. And, I can't imagine life in South Florida without air conditioning, yet there are times when we've been without power for weeks at a time, and people have to figure out a way to cope. Um, so, you know, the moment the moment that happens, um, 
if it's if it's a delay of more than a day or so, you've got big, big problems. Also, uh, either uh, an absence of law enforcement and first responders or at least serious and, and significant delays between the time that you pick up the phone and dial 911 and somebody can actually respond to your house and help you. Um, we have a limited number of police officers and first other first responders. Uh, there have been severe budget cutbacks in, 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 in prior years. So I think that the people that we have that are on the job are struggling just to maintain coverage on normal days. Imagine when you throw in a situation where there are uh, lots of people out there maybe getting in trouble, the lights are out, um, traffic is a huge problem. Um, law enforcement response times are going to go from 10, 15 minutes to hours, maybe days. Um, then the other thing is the empty store shelves. Uh, that could lead, and in many cases does lead, to you know massive hoarding uh, where people go show up and they, and they find that a store does have something left. They, they take it all. Um, leaving nothing for whoever may come behind them. Uh, that that can also cause, you know, social unrest in a, in a situation where, you know, you have lots of hungry, tired, thirsty, panicked, and, you know, highly stressed, stressed out people realizing that they're completely on their own and th- there's just nobody there that's going to come and help them. So for the people that have been, you know, preparing and have a plan, the adjustment from everyday life to this new reality, it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be manageable because they, they've made some adequate preparations. But for the unprepared, you know, they're in for a huge shock and, and there's just very little that you could say that at that moment they can possibly do to help themselves. Yeah, and you bring up some really, I think, critical realities that people really need to understand right now. And it's one of the reasons why we talk about survival groups and banding together. I mean, just the just the lack of law enforcement that you talked about, when resources are scarce and people are desperate and their families are starving and things like that, what you have essentially are more criminals, right? Because people are going to do whatever they need to do to survive. So, So you have more criminals out there with less accountability because they pretty much know that law enforcement can't really respond to that kind of thing. We see even in, even on like short-term things where you might have civil unrest in a city, like around the elections and things like that, where we were seeing these, you know, I mean, when you can set a, a when you can tip a police car over and set it on fire, it's, you know, you see everybody just kind of freak out because it looks like you can do pretty much anything and get away with it. And when you have that loss of structure that you're talking about, it really does become a very dangerous zone to live in. And that's why we talk about banding together, not even just for resources and pooling your resources and your skills and things like that, but even for security. So you bring up a lot of really great points there. So listen, everyone, we've been speaking with uh, Richard Duarte of quickstartsurvival.com about how to keep from killing each other when you're trying to survive together. And we have a lot more coming up, including building your foundational structure for getting along when the world has gone mad, setting boundaries for yourself and your family. And I'm not talking about concertina wire. At least I don't think I'm talking about it. We'll see as we get into it. Mm -hmm. But then also what to do about the critical threats of body odor and bad breath in an SHTF scenario. All that more coming right up. But first, check out this special message. 
in any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Richard Duarte of QuickStartSurvival.com talking about how do you live with other people in a survival group during times of long-term collapse or survival. So we've got a lot more coming up. And Richard, what I want to do right now is let's okay, let's go ahead and assume something is uh, something has triggered an event. It's a long-term survival scenario. It could be a grid-down blackout that's going to go on for a long period of time, and but but it's obvious that life has changed and the worst has happened. So, so what would you say are like in in building a foundation for being able to live alongside these other people and 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 have these teams to be able to depend upon? What are the basic tenets of my survival mindset for long-term planning for this type of thing? I, I think one of the most important things is to have the planning and the mechanism in place so that when something occurs, you can easily, well, I use the word easily, but it's never going to be easy, but more easily make the transition from the, 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 the everyday life that you're used to to the new normal. Um, it's critical to be able to make that transition, and the better you set it up in preparation for that moment, the easier it'll be for people to accept it and to move forward. Um, I'm talking about things like uh, sanitation, hygiene, where you can go to the bathroom, you know, how you keep clean. Um, if, if you have the gear and a plan in place, uh, it's a lot easier just to say, okay, these are the procedures that we're setting up. We have a makeshift latrine in the back. That's what everybody's going to use. We're going to do this for washing hands. We're going to use this kind of water for this. We're going to keep the, the drinking water separated so it doesn't get contaminated. And as long as you could set up almost like a triage of, of sorts, um, people can follow those 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 rules and 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 they can adapt. Now, if you haven't made any of those preparations, then at that moment you've got to sit there and try to figure out, okay, how do we do this and how do we accomplish this? And I can guarantee you, at that moment, there'll be 50 different opinions on how best to get it done. Nobody's going to be able to agree, and you're going to have more chaos, more chaos than you have outside. You're going to have inside. So, I, I like to have all these things planned out and. 
you know, put them out there. You're not a tyrant. You're not going to be dictating to people. You have to do it this way. But I think as long as you have some kind of procedure in place, people will kind of like fall in line and, and they'll follow it, if nothing else, because it's a lot easier than trying to come up with something on your own. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, you want to assume the worst case scenario. You don't want to assume, oh, yeah, maybe we'll have a little bit of power. We'll have partial power. No, you have to assume there's not going to be any water. There's not going to be any power. There's not going to be any any garbage pickups. You have to account for all these things in advance. And um, you also have to have plans for not only sheltering in place, which is usually the safest choice, but you also have to have a plan for getting out quickly if everything goes bad and it goes so bad that you just can't stay wherever it is that you are. And that can happen. So I always tell people, plan. And when I say plan, I don't mean get a binder and put tabs in it and stick some papers in there. No, that's not a plan. That's a that's a binder. That's a piece of paper. And there's no value in that unless you've gone through the process of analyzing your situation, assessing your risks, and then trying to find ways to mitigate those damages and work around them. Um, it's the process in that planning that has value because it forces you to think and analyze and look at the risks in a realistic way and then figure out what would I do if that scenario was upon me. Um, so the more you do of that before the time comes, the better off you are. And then the is when the time comes, if you have all these factors in play and if, you, and if you've made the preparations and if you have the proper supplies, um, you can stay calm. You can keep a low profile. You can work with folks to calm them down, avoid conflicts. And that's the best thing you can possibly do with a survival group is to, you know, make sure that everybody's on the same page and that you maintain some cohesion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really does help manage the stress because you're not trying to figure out along the way and, and, and making them part of that, that planning process. Like you say, let's assume the worst. I mean, if you get everybody together and you talk about like, okay, let's throw a scenario out there. There's no power. There's no whatever. You, and you, and you throw that out there and you get everybody else's buy-in of like, okay, what are we not thinking? Like, okay, what, what assets do we have in place? What plan do we currently have in place? Now, what are we forgetting? What are we missing? What are, let's like, let's just get creative and throw some things at the board here about what could possibly go wrong. And, and there was a, I've told this story before to our listeners, but there was an interview that I had heard from uh, a guy that was climbing Mount Everest. And he was asked by a reporter, he's like, aren't you afraid? You know, there's a lot that can go wrong up there. And the guy said, no. And the interviewer was like, well, how is that even possible? I mean, you could die up there. People do die up there. And he's like, well, me and my team, we've, we've gone through and we have, we have brainstormed all the possible things we could possibly think of that could go wrong up there. And we have a plan to deal with every single one of them. So no matter what happens, we know that we're going to be able to take care of whatever it is. And so I think that's really powerful because it helps you manage just that emotional stress and fear and all those things that go along with it. And making them part of that process seems great. And here's something I hadn't thought of before until you just said it, but, but like having that plan for, you know, a lot of people have survival groups and they're in a shelter in place mode, right? Like it might even be within your neighborhood. You can set up boundaries and things like that. But what happens when that's no longer safe and you have your, let's say your five team members and their families together and it's like, okay, this is no longer safe. We need to get out of Dodge 
And then everybody's like, well, yeah, but my Ann Agnes is over in this direction, and that's where we need to go. And then somebody else says, well, wait a minute, I would, you know, I'm going to go up north where my family is, and you have your own place that you need to go. Like, people have different locations they might want to go to, but as a survival group, you might be dependent upon the skills that you just lost because they went in a different direction, or the supplies that they were in charge of or contributing, like you know, ammunition or food or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you've got this breakup because you didn't plan ahead of time for that worst case scenario of like, oops, I guess maybe our our little like compound here is no longer safe. Now what do we do? And I I had never really put that together before with the um with the survival groups and I, I that's just something that came to mind with what you were talking about. Um you know especially when you are living in close quarters, you know, personal boundaries, and, and you talk about like the arguments that people get into and things like that. And there's personal boundaries, there's physical space, all these different dynamics that you have to kind of juggle, especially during stressful times. So I'm curious, like, what are some of the ways that you think people can better manage that? And, and you know, to, without alienating their fellow preppers, to or or getting walked all over or walking all over somebody else. How do you set those those personal boundaries and the space that you need to be able to survive? Yeah, let me let me throw a couple of things out there first. Um, first of all, you're 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 probably going to be in a scenario when, when things happen that you didn't expect. And the the reason I say this is because. Um, the folks that you're with, even if these are folks that you've planned with and, and are included in your group, um, they are going to have personal issues that they're going to be dealing with at the time that something happens, whether it's parents or in-laws or siblings or, you know, cousins or whatever that are something else that maybe they're worried about because they haven't heard from them and they're, they're worried about how all this has affected them. Um, they're going to, they're going to be in a very stressed out mode regardless. And people sometimes think, well, they shouldn't be because you have all these supplies, you have plans. Yeah. But that, that, that takes care of you. How about your extended family? So that always, that's always going to affect people and their, and their mentality and where they're at. Um, the other thing is that sometimes folks in your survival group, as much as you may have said over and over again or agreed that nobody would bring a bunch of other people, sometimes they show up with a bunch of other people. What what if uh, the week something goes down, um, Joe and Mary, who live down the block that are in your group, uh, had their in-laws visiting? What are they going to do with those in-laws? They're not going to kick them out into the street and say, well, sorry, you're not part of the group. They're going to bring them with them. Well, that's what I would do and with then my all of a sudden. <laughs> my in-laws was going to have to go find some other place to go. Trust me. <laughs> There's a holiday in about three blocks down. That's, that's an easy decision for me. But okay, I, I digress. Go ahead. But but you know that that throws the unexpected into the mix because you may have had food, water, supplies, room for a set number of people, and now all of a sudden. Now you find yourself bursting at the seams because you have people that you didn't plan for. And the people that are in the group, they've discussed all these things. They've worked them out. They've come to agreements. These other folks, you don't know what they're, what's on their mind or, you know, what they're going to bring to the group and, and what the dynamics are going to look like when they start expressing their opinions and their wants and their needs. And maybe they're hysterical. Who knows? 
So you 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 have to be able to maintain some control over the group, and that's why I say that um, setting personal boundaries is important. Um, even though it's a group that you're familiar with, if, especially if there are people that you weren't expecting, it's important to have maybe a little meeting initially and talk very gently, very softly, uh, no barking orders at anybody, but just say, listen, we're all happy that you guys are here. Uh, we're going to do the best we can for everybody. Everything is going to be fine in order to make this as pleasant as possible for everybody. These are the boundaries that, and you don't have to call them boundaries, but you know, for purposes of, of what we're discussing now, uh, we'll call them boundaries. These these are the rules, boundaries, whatever you want to express um, that we're going to follow. You know, maybe get them, you know, maybe you'll have them uh, written up and posted somewhere uh, that you'll prepare in advance so that everybody can remind themselves if they have any doubts. Uh, and then work towards creating a positive attitude and some level of optimism because, you know, the last thing you could lose during this kind of scenario is, your positive nature and your and your and your optimism and the and the, the knowledge that yeah it's really bad right now but sooner or later it's going to be okay and we are prepared sufficiently so that we can handle whatever comes our way like you said before we have a plan for just about every contingency and if plan a b c or d doesn't work because the contingency is totally different than what we thought maybe a combination of a and b or b and c will work under under those uh, under that scenario so you know keep your cool keep calm you know by all means avoid conflicts and, and and disagreements because those things are happening or will surface not because people are mad at one another but because they're just so frustrated and scared and panicked um these are experiences that maybe they're going through for the very first time and they feel completely out of control and they're going to express it somehow. So it's up to you to know and to expect and to anticipate these things so that you can handle it when it comes up without overreacting. And again, um, it, it'll probably be a problem that surfaces with people that are there now that you didn't expect, but you still have to account for that. Again, it's all about the unexpected, right? Everything we do Everything we think about, everything we plan for is for the day that something happens that we just weren't expecting. Because that day we woke up and everything was fine until you know, it wasn't. Let me, let, me, let me get your opinion on this. And, and I know that my, my own personal survival team listens to my podcast. So guys and girls, don't don't take this the wrong way. But But let me ask you, Richard, I mean, what if the worst case scenario happens and things just don't work out with your group? Like you could even be, be the best prepared, the best planned. And then, but the personalities change or somebody says, I don't care. My in-laws are coming or we're out of here. You know, something could yeah. happen to disintegrate the group. Does it make sense to, I'll say secretly kind of have your own personal confidential covert plan that, if you need to protect your family and get the hell out of the dodge and get the hell out of the the group that's crumbling in front of you where you don't want them following you or or tracking you or or coming to to get you i mean does it does it make sense to have a a plan z if you will that when all else fails yeah. i still have to protect my family i still have to help them survive and if i can't rely on my group my family is still going to be looking at me for protecting them. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely, because it may not even be that the, that the group falls apart and disintegrates because of disagreement. It may be that maybe Joe and Mary um, have in-laws 
uh, a couple of counties over, and Mary initially agreed to the group and initially agreed that she was going to do uh, everything we had planned. But now that her parents, uh, we've lost touch with her parents, uh, she just refuses to do anything other than to go over two counties and find them and rescue them or do whatever has to be done. So now you've lost members of the group that you were planning on, and maybe Mary was the first aid uh, and, and medical uh, part of your group, and, and, and John was maybe security. Um, so, so, yeah, you have to have contingencies upon contingencies, and you have to have plans for just about everything, including extricating yourself from that from that group if, if, if it somehow becomes toxic and, and you have no choice. But I would say that that's where good planning comes in and picking those members um, as carefully as you possibly can and trying to reach certain agreements with them in advance, although it's never going to be 100%. Like I said, that scenario about, you know, the, the heartstrings, you know, pull um, Mary and John in an opposite direction. There's absolutely no way to plan for that. But um, you always have to have some kind of contingency. So maybe instead of just having one medical person, you have two medical people and you have two people or maybe everybody's trained to do all the things uh, cross trained so that when the moment comes, we're not just depending on one sole individual. And by the way, security and self-defense will always be the first priority in every survival situation. And when I say that, people usually start, you know, jumping up and down. Well, but how about water? You can't survive for more than three days without water. I said, well, you know, what good will water, food, or anything else do if you're dead or if you're seriously injured in a, in a, in a, in a situation like that where there's no medical help available? So security and self-defense will always be the first priority. And I got to tell you, after many, many years of doing this, I am firmly of the belief that you cannot do that without a group. There's no way that a sole individual or even two or three individuals can keep security and self-defense going seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Uh, it's just an impossibility. And that's one of the reasons why groups are so important. You know, I've never had, I've never heard anybody say how critical self-defense is for it, but it's like, you know, we always talk about you can live, you know, three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food, but you you can't live like 30 seconds sometimes without blood, you know? So, I mean, a gunshot wound can yeah. change all of that. So it's very, uh, that's, that's very insightful. So let's uh, let's go into an area that I think a lot of people don't don't ever really think about, um, but I've I've seen this in action too, and it and it does it does make a difference. And I'm talking about personal hygiene. It seems that when you're in these close quarters during a survival scenario, personal hygiene really does become important, especially like you said when you know I've been I've been in combat before, and I've talked with our, our listeners before about what really happens when the infrastructure goes down in an urban environment. And one of the things that people don't don't necessarily realize is like is that they take for granted are things like sanitation, whether it is picking up garbage or whether it is even the sewers. Like I've told people when the the sewage systems go down and the water system the water treatment plants go down, just the smell that happens in a city is something that a lot of people it's it's, yeah. it's very shocking to them. So when you're talking about like basically personal hygiene within your group, like what are some of the things that people really should plan for, even though it's, it can be an uncomfortable situation, but what are some of those things people need to, to know about to, to keep things kind of moving along here? Well, remember we were talking before about accepting the new normal 
Um, the, 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 the everyday normal is that most of us take a shower every day. We put on all kinds of deodorant and we use all kinds of personal hygiene products. So we literally sanitize ourselves on a daily basis. And, you know, some people even douse themselves with perfume and all, you know, that, that's gone. That's gone. In one of these scenarios, there's just no way that we can maintain that. So accepting the new normal means that uh, there will be some body odor. There will be some situations where people will, you know, there'll be, it'll be offensive. Uh, there's no way around that. Uh, even if we do everything the way we planned it and everything the way um, that it makes the most amount of sense, there's still going to be uh, a fair amount of, of this to put up with. And plus, we're probably going to be in an environment where there's going to be no temperature control inside our homes or wherever it is we happen to be. So uh, especially in a place like South Florida, um, that's devastating because people are going to be sweating 24 hours a day. So that, that, that's number one. You, you have to accept the fact that there's going to be a fair amount of that. But you also have to accept the fact that we have to focus our attention on the things that really, really matter. And a little body odor is not going to kill anybody. It's not going to kill the person. But, um, you know, contaminating your drinking water with feces, that's going to, you know, that's going to cause a major problem. It might even kill you. So we have to focus our priorities on the things that really matter and that really are life-threatening. So we want to make sure that people go and do their business someplace far away from the living areas, the eating areas, where food is being prepared, where water is kept. We also want to make sure that we're eliminating waste, whether it's uh, the leftovers from last night's dinner, so that we don't invite um uh, critters and bugs and, you know, all, all, all manner of animal that may come and further contaminate where we are. Um, we also want to take precautions uh, and, and constantly sanitize our hands because if we go to the latrine, for example, and we take care of business and we don't wash our hands, we come back, we touch food, we touch other people, we may be contaminating the group. We may be contaminating our food and water supply, and that can get us really, really sick, really, really fast in a situation where we're not able to uh, deal with that in the best way possible. There's no doctors. There's, there's going to be few, you know, little access to any quality health care. So uh, somebody can very easily dehydrate uh, in, a, in, a, in a situation like that. So we've got to focus on the priorities and we have to accept the fact that there's going to be a little bit of, a, you know, a discomfort and there's going to be some people that aren't going to smell so good. And, and that's the way people operated 100 years ago when we didn't have all the modern conveniences that we have nowadays. And a lot of us are spoiled. But, you know, we need to be able to make that transition and make it quickly and not let it upset us. You know, we're not going to break up a survival group because Joe has body odor. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's more at stake than, than you know, offending somebody's nose. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you bring up the you bring up the really great points though, just about sanitation and how you know, just something as simple as not washing your hands before you're pre preparing meal. You could get the entire group sick, like even deadly sick by not paying attention yeah. to personal hygiene. But it's, it, this is what I love about these conversations because there's there's all these dynamics that people don't think about. It's it's cool and sexy to talk about bullets and how you're going to defend stuff and how to set up your home as like as a fortress and everything, but but these dynamics, the personal dynamics, the interaction among human beings is is so so critical. If we took if we look at like uh I've said this before, but like look at like the walking dead, right? Like 
the yeah, you're trying to not be a zombie, right? And you're trying to 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 um to guard against the zombies, but truly all the threats that they have there are among people. It's all the human dynamics. The threats are are there among people, and so and they don't show all the the stuff like people sanitizing their hands, of course, in The Walking Dead. It's not sexy, but it really is a survival yeah. factor that people need to to take into mind. So awesome information. I definitely took a lot of notes on this one and uh, definitely have a lot of things to go to my group with for us to talk about. I'm, I'm, uh, I want to thank you for, for all this great insight. I appreciate it. So listen, everyone. Um, listen, obviously, you're going to want to go out and get uh, Richard's books. I mean, he obviously has an immense amount of information that can help you to prepare for long-term survival, especially if you're in the areas around other populations and things like that, and it's an urban, an urban survival scenario. So all you need to do, make sure you go over to his website over at www.quickstartsurvival.com and check out his stuff. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.